Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about how the the gold rush days for the App Store and, and the, the Apple ecosystem seem to be probably over. Uh, and so kind of, you know, what's different now, how we need to change the way we do things as a result of that, and maybe, you know, how we can look towards the future, what's likely to happen in the future. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Because it's, it's a funny thing to call it an app, like a gold rush, where obviously, you know, like that's hearkening back to the days when, you know, people would, someone would find gold somewhere in a valley, you know, out west or wherever, and everyone would rush in and try and grab all the gold as much as they could before it all went away. Um, and there's some parallels to that in the sense of like the nature of a gold rush is that it's this very sort of temporary thing. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me with the app stores where, and well, first it's amusing that I remember Apple actually even referred to the app stores as gold rushes. Um, I have this great, this like flashbulb memory of, um, Scott Forstall in the intro video for the iPad with his, like the way he sort of can get really intense with big eyes saying, and we're expecting a whole new gold rush. Uh, (laughs) It's, It's also a little bit funny that it's also in San Francisco. Yeah. That's true. They, they, then their, uh, you know, their, their their sports team is the 49ers, and it's all very um, relevant. But it's even there. Like Apple embraced it that this was a, this whole big thing it was part of the marketing of like trying to get people onto the platform and developing for it. Is that there's this feeling of like there's all this opportunity and there's all this this capability that um, is time limited. So you need to get in there and you need to you know grab as much as you can. And in many ways that was true. They weren't lying about that. I don't think, but. It's weird now because they've launched three app stores subsequently, or I guess four if you can count the Mac app store. Um, but, I'm not sure that you should. But for the purposes of this discussion, like they've launched three that are relevant to iOS, where they launched the um, the, T- the TVOS app store, they launched the Watch app store, and they launched the iMessage app store. And I can't think of the only example out of any of those that I can think of where someone had like this big um public like you know the story you see in wired or you see on the verge or somewhere where it's like you know developer makes two hundred thousand dollars in two weeks with five minutes worth of work kind of stories and i other than the app phonies which was an iMessage app that lets you trick your friends into thinking that they'd said things they didn't um which eventually got pulled from the app store shockingly reasonably well yeah shockingly (laughs) but that did reasonably well like that's the only one out of those three stores um, which is not to say that there's no money to being made on these stores, but it's a very different mentality, I think. It's also just a very different um, type of thing that succeeds in these different stores. So in the case of iMessage, I think the the promise of iMessage apps that aren't sticker packs, just apps in iMessage, has mostly been shown to not really be a thing after all. Maybe that'll change over time, but you know, when when Apple was announcing all this stuff this past summer and then launching it in the fall... You know, whenever Apple launches something new, some kind of new ability for an app or a new type of app store or a whole new device that will have an app store, we've said in past episodes, we've talked about how, like, you know, it's there's there's usually a good chance of success if you are there on day one doing some doing the new thing that wasn't possible before. And I think that's still true. But I think what we're seeing is that, you know, even Apple doesn't know before they launch these things which ones will be successful and which ones won't. And even Apple is just guessing about that. They, you know, they they made this entire App Store ecosystem for the watch, 
And it turns out that the Apple Watch really is not a, a hot place for launching new apps. You know, it, you can, and some apps have done okay on the watch, but it's not really like this like gold rush the way the way it was back for the iPhone and briefly for the iPad. Uh, and you know, the TV. I think we can look at the TV and we can say pretty similarly. You know, the Apple TV. We we all thought when it launched. You know, oh, that now now that we can make apps for the TV easily for the first time, uh, now there will be all new kinds of apps, new types of things that we can't even think of. And I think it turns out that we haven't thought of them yet. And <laughs> you know, a year, a year and a half, or whatever it's been in, uh, we still haven't thought of them. And uh, it's unfortunate that what succeeds on the Apple TV is basically stuff that makes sense would succeed on Apple TV, which is like video apps for different providers uh, and occasionally a game but even then the gaming market for it i think has largely not materialized um and we could talk about why but it doesn't really matter you know the, the facts are basically the apple tv app market is really not a place where indies have much action to to be had uh and most people with apple tvs are not really browsing the app store regularly and finding new stuff and downloading it and paying for it and everything else that's not really happening um and you know, same thing I think with the watch, and, and I think the um, the iMessage store is just the most recent example of this. You know, it when when the app stores were launching back in two thousand eight, and and then later when the iPad launched in twenty ten, uh, w- when that was really beginning, when things were really hot back then, this whole market was like totally untapped. It was like a the fresh you know green ocean, whatever whatever business people call it. And uh, there you go, whatever. Some oceans are green. Um, so so the fresh fresh blue field and uh it it there was it was easier back then to succeed because there was less there there was less history there and people were actually really excited to get these new kinds of devices and then browse around and throw money around and see what what can they now do they couldn't do before or what can this new device that they just got for the first time do and then what we what we've seen since then basically is that every new every additional platform or store or capability that has launched since then and that has that has provided us opportunities that didn't exist before since then every one of those is seemingly smaller than than the last one or has less potential for indies than the last one and it's not because apple is some you know corporate sellout or anything it's not that at all it's that just the nature of these stores and devices and abilities, like the low-hanging fruit was picked long ago, and now we're going into these more and more specialized areas, more and more specialized markets, and adding these kind of like niche abilities and niche demands to the various product lines and to the various app stores and SDKs. So I think this was inevitable. This, like, I, I think the, this, this kind of cooling down of the gold rush, like I think this happens to most gold rushes. That's usually why they're called a gold rush and not like a gold, you know, forever age of stability. And no, that's like when, when things cool down and the market's mature, like this just happens. Uh, so I think this is largely inevitable. I think there's not a lot Apple could do to really change it. And instead, it's our job as the developers, as people trying to make a business in this ecosystem it's our job not to just yell at apple to change things that they can't really change but instead to adapt what we do to basically be more compatible with this new market and to be more likely to succeed and that's partly been what this entire series has been about this whole podcast that we do for like the last year it's basically been all about this it's basically been 
how do you succeed in today's market? Not in the gold rush of 2008, but how do you succeed today in the realities of today's market? And that often requires changes in the way we do things, changes in the way, in our expectations, uh, and and just kind of a, a more realistic and pragmatic view of, of how we operate and what we should make. Yeah, because I think in a lot of ways these things come down to the the balance of supply and demand. That's like anything, any, even vaguely related to business, always at the end comes down to supply and demand. Um, and I think especially of how the reason that there was such a so so much value to be taken from the early days of the early of the iPhone and iPad app stores is that there was a strong demand for these things and the supply was almost non-existent and in a weird way it makes me think of how like when you take if you if you divide something by a very small number you end up with this just massive number but as the, as you divide by a slight, you know a bigger and bigger number all, very quickly you start to shrink as a result like the result which i don't know why that comes to mind for me but it's that kind of that that impact that because the number of apps in the app store was you know a few thousand a tens of thousands um, the all of the demand was concentrated on those and so the ability for a developer to you know, to stand out from that and, or even if you didn't even stand out, the ability to just exist and make money um, was substantial. And, and whereas now any of these things are coming into an environment where the demand is arguable, whether it's gone down or not, I'm not sure. Cause I think if you know, similar, say something like the watch, my guess is Apple has sold more Apple watches um, in the first year um, of its existence than they had sold iPhones in the, you know, in the year after the app, the app store launched. Um, like the install base for the Apple watch is bigger almost certainly than it was for the iPhone back in those days. And yet, you know, there's just, I think oh, the reality is the supply of things is just so much bigger proportionate to what it was that the, that kind of easy, it's like what, what, what I think draw, draws people to a gold rush is the promise of easy money that you don't have to work that hard to you know to, you know sort of to strike it rich it's sort of this in this in the you know going all the way back to the mining right it's like it's not that you need to invest the hundreds of thousands of dollars into build you know building this huge big mining operation and going deep into mountains to pull out gold it's like no no like you, like you imagine a gold rush it's like there's just gold lying on the ground and people are just like walking around picking it up um, and I feel like there's this, there's that same difference where it's the like there is still money to be made, but it's, it's increasingly difficult. And in a weird way, I feel like that's both good and bad. That I like the the feeling that in order to succeed now, you have to um, work in a in a more concrete way, and it's harder to do. And there's fewer people who are able to do it. Um, and so, if you're somebody who has the skills and the patience and the sort of, sort of like, I don't even know, like intuition to be able to navigate that. Like you can still do it well and it's harder to do. So there's less competition for it. Um, but on the flip side, like I also do remember quite lovingly the days back in the app store, in the early app store where doing anything would, you know, get you a reasonable amount of income and you could very easily get attention in the press or in all these types of places. I mean, it was never easy, easy. It wasn't like literally just walks, you know, like reaching down and picking up gold off the ground, but it was so much easier than it was then. And that was like nice. Um, but it was also probably, it was just really unsustainable because that attracts so much attention 
and in many ways too probably um creates a lot of bad habits and um, perspectives as a developer like if i had structured my business assuming that that was those days were always going to continue I was going to be in for a you know a sore surprise when it turns out that's not the case and you know you're I've had periods of the app store since then where you know it's like my income year to year has you know dropped by a half or two thirds or things and like that's a pretty substantial robust change to have to adapt to um, and especially you know if, if you had gone the other like I've always generally speaking been the sort of the one man low overhead type of developer but i imagine like it's got to be really crazy if you were a a developer who had sort of staffed up as a result and had a big team and had kind of been assuming that those those salad days would going to continue forever our sponsor this week is braintree go to braintreepayments.com slash radar to learn more now Why make payment integration more difficult than it has to be? Braintree's powerful full-stack payment platform allows you to accept nearly any type of payment from any device with just one integration. It's flexible to your system's needs and supports most programming languages. So whether you're using Java, Ruby, or Python, you'll always have a range of server-side and client-side SDKs available. The Braintree code supports Android, iOS, and JavaScript clients, and it takes just 10 lines of code to implement. Check it out today. Braintree makes payments and your job a whole lot easier. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash radar. That's braintreepayments.com slash radar. Thanks to Braintree for sponsoring our show. So I thought maybe we'd talk about, uh, you know, in the first, you know, the first half we basically covered things are worse. <laughs> Here's maybe why basically things are worse and harder now. Um, now I think it's worth talking about strategies and specifics about how we exist in a sustainable, healthy way in this new environment, realistically. Uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned right before the break, that you've you've always kind of kept things low overhead and just you for the most part and and uh i i think it's worth going more into this you know like you in particular i think are you know basically like the <laughs> i think you are the most pragmatic and prolific developer i know uh because you try lots of things and i, I think this is this is a a key survival skill in this market, in a, in a tough market where there's lots of competition and, and lots of changes, and is generally kind of cooling, this to me is this is the key: is basically to try a lot of different things. And also, critically, I think the the way you do things is you tend to try things without putting a massive amount of budget and time into it before you know whether it will it will succeed. You know, it's I don't know if you subscribe to like the minimal viable product uh, thing or not, but I, I think what you do is close to that uh, in the sense that, you know, not that you put out crap because you don't, but that you put out 1.0s th- that you didn't spend three years making be- and, and, and like, you know, $300,000 worth of resources. Like, you, you know, you're not pouring all that into a 1.0 because you don't know whether it will, it'll succeed yet. And by doing it that way, you're able to launch a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, you know, over over a few years, you you launch tons of apps, and then you can see what succeeds, and then build on that. Yeah, because I think the thing that's probably best is t- to point out too is the reason I take the approach I take is because of what my goals are. Um, and for years now, like what I I got into this business, um, you know, like I used to be a consultant, and like. There's lots of problems with, with, you know, consulting work, but in general, like the nice thing about consulting is it's very straightforward. 
you do a certain amount of hours of work, you get a certain amount of money for that work. And the uncertainty comes in, can you have a next client? But if you're, you know, if you're a consultant of a reasonable quality, like finding work is usually, and it becomes a, becomes a, you know, a natural, relatively straightforward process. And that for me didn't like it did what didn't appeal what didn't appeal to me about that is that it i felt like i i still always was sort of I, I never felt secure in where i was because if i didn't find a next client suddenly my income drops to zero and so for me when i got into products my goal was always it's like can i take the approach of being self-employed which is in both cases was what i was going to do because i i just i fit fits better for my mindset to be self-employed and i was like can i be self-employed in a way that provides consistent predictable income into the future not just predictable income in the present which is what consulting was and so i got into you know into products in the hopes of like creating what they like the mythical passive income thing where you make something and then it creates income into the future rather than you know, doing work in the present that creates money in the present. And because that be- became my goal, like I-, I didn't go set out with the goal of striking it rich um, in the way that, you know, you kind of, it's, I get the impression this is a lot of what a lot of game development or things were, or movies are another example of an industry where this is kind of the, the expectation or venture capital even where it's your goal is to have this massive runaway success and, that's what you're gearing and aiming everything towards. Um, it's sort of like more like you're, when you're going for the lottery approach. Um, whereas with with me and with the way I've structured my business and why I've done so many apps over the years and why I keep doing this over and over again, like I'm working on another app and I'll be putting out by the, hopefully by the end of the year. And it's because what you what, the reality of having lots and lots of things is that you end up with tremendous diversity that both you create opportunity for any of the various products to do well, um, which is the, like the simple version of that. And then also just in aggregate, you know, five kind of not so great uh, results from a revenue or business perspective add up to maybe one good result. Um, and if one goes up and another goes down, you, you end up in the same place. And like that in a weird way is kind of boring. Like oh, I want my business to be as boring as possible. Like in some ways I love when I look at my revenue graphs and they're just completely flat. Like <laughs> th- that's not what like classic business wants you to do. They say, Oh, it should be like, what is it? It's like up into the, up into the side. I want a hockey stick. I want all these things. It's like, no, no, no. I want it flat. I want boring. I want an approach that doesn't really grow over time. I mean, gro- growth is great, but I, it's like, I'd be, I'll take flat um, over up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And so like for the approach I take, and this is why I think it works reasonably well in the modern app store is that things are are mature to the point that things are kind of predictable, that things are, um, you know, if you are able to get a certain, a certain volume of downloads, um, every day for the last six months, it's very unlikely that tomorrow that number is going to go to zero. Like that's just not the way the app, like there's, you, you end up with all of these structural advantages, um, in this sort of this modern system and i think that is at its at its first if i was talking to somebody who's trying to get into this it's like making sure that you understand what is your goal like what would an ideal business be um, looking forward to? like what would you like your business to look like and then are you making choices to structure it around that you know and for me i want dead even boring flat you know revenue so diversity is absolutely the only way you're ever going to get that kind of um sort of predictability in your results and that's that's especially important because I, you know, and it leads into a larger theme for me, which is 
even in the good times, even like back with Instapaper, especially like when the iPad launched, that was a great time for me. That was the most money I've ever made from anything in a year. <laughs> and and it, and everything I've done on the App Store since then has not reached that level. All of Overcast, uh, you know, the whole time, everything after that, like Instapaper during the first couple years of the iPad was really probably the peak of my app sales career that I will probably ever see. And even then, I knew... I, I had in the, in the back of my head the whole time, this will not last. Everything goes up and down in the tech business, in most businesses, but the tech business seems to just happen faster. <laughs> Everything goes up and down. Um, and when you have something good, when, some, when things are succeeding, it's very important to always keep in mind, this will end and plan for that you know that's that's just an expected part of your process then so that way when it does start to decline or take a sharp drop off uh then you you can be sad about that you can try to reverse that but at least you know you shouldn't be surprised that it happened at all you should know like everything goes up and down and so what that means is when you're in the up periods, plan for the down periods. So that goes to very basic things. First of all, obviously, like save money. You know, like all the money that you get during the up periods, bank as much of that as you can. Uh, and and that, that will help you tremendously down the road when you're in a down period and, and you, you might need something to, you know, clear the gap or whatever um, or to start a new project. Also in the up periods, when, you ha- when things are going well, leverage that success into things that might help you during the down periods so for instance you know you mentioned diversity that is the number one you know so in the the up period is the time to start spreading your wings to start building a platform so when you have a popular app that's a great time to start a podcast or a blog or a youtube channel or something else you know spread out when when people are looking at you build new build new audiences build new places build new products you know start looking into new things and then when the thing that boosted you up in the first place starts going down you have these other this other network of other places or products or apps or audiences that can help you into the next thing or that can become the next thing themselves and and that i mean the best i mean you can do that anytime and you should do that do that whenever you can but the best time to do it is when things are good because that's when you have a little bit extra money, a little bit of extra time, maybe, uh, but you should be spending it on that because that's important. Um, that is really the best strategy I can possibly give for, you know, be, beyond just, you know, what we've already said, which is like, you know, try lots of things and see what succeeds and, and, and have diverse income streams. Besides all that, best thing I can say is assume every good thing will end. And while it is good, hoard as much, save as much as you possibly can, and then spread your wings into new things then so that as those things are building they're building with your success and then when the success in that first thing starts to dwindle you have something else to fall back on or to build up yeah and i think the key thing to what you're pointing out is that diversity like for me diversity mostly means having lots and lots of apps Um, but it doesn't have to mean that for everybody i mean the same way like you in in general have been like an app uh, monogamous like you've Mm -hmm. generally just sort of had this one app after another um that you sort of you you you've doomed but as you've been developing and you know over the last eight years you've always been diversifying out into different things you had your blog for a while that was very um sort of that was where your energy was going into and that's where you were sort of expanding out into and then you went into podcasting or it's like finding those whatever that is for 
um, for you that makes sense for you, you know, that, like if you're a good writer, maybe blogging's great. If you like video or, or audio, podcasting's great. Um, a lot of, I know a lot of people who diversify out into education. Um, you know, you start doing training or book writing or whatever. There's no money in book writing. Just in, yeah, in that's not not a great so, plan. Yeah, but maybe but training I think is a reasonable thing. Or finding ways to take small successes and sort of I guess it's like turning them into other other and broader things is a great way in an environment where um, you're you know you're not going to necessarily be able to just have a runaway hit in the app store itself. Um, to find a way to make a bigger and broader living. Uh, and like that's where you can grow in a lot of ways. And and it is kind of this strange and delightful sort of like cyclical p- pattern too where the more you're able to do that, the easier it is subsequently to launch successful apps. And you know, you, it's the building a enough of a reputation for yourself that you can, when you launch something new – people are at least take a look at it. There's, there's, no, there's no guarantee. It doesn't like make you the thing just like an automatic success, but it gives you into the door uh, in a way that it, it wouldn't otherwise if you just threw things out over the wall into the app store and then like walked away. Exactly. And and as you try more things, you get better at doing them. You know, like it's, you know, now it's a lot easier for me to start a new podcast now than it was four years ago because I've done a lot of podcasts since then. I know how to do it now. I know what works and what doesn't to some degree. And so if I launch a new podcast now, it's way less risky than it used to be just because I've done it a lot. You know, if you launch a new app today, you you can be pretty sure, you know, roughly what it will take to get it done, roughly what it will take to get it in the store and an approximate, you know, estimate of how much you think it might make in the first X months or whatever, you know, if things go well. You've, you've launched so many apps that now you've just gotten good at launching apps, right? So any skills you can build along the way, you know, in that kind of way, it helps to to just build up your competence over time. You know, just, again, the more you try, the more you put out there, the the better it will be. And then as things kind of, you know, take seed or whatever, and I don't know anything about growing things, uh, as as the plants that you plant take root, some of them will. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then, you know, then again, you're just building up this career over time, the slow growth, trying a whole bunch of stuff, and eventually some of it will work. And then as that works, you keep building. You keep spreading out even further. You build up what you have the, as, most as, as much as you can. You save when the times are good. That This is how you survive in this climate. Yeah, and I think it's also probably a, a good place to point out that more likely than not, your goal should – it's like you want to have a strategy that is going to work for your career um, in the long term. Um, you know, it's, it's like taking the approach of like, okay, what I want to do – is I want to start off by winning the lottery and then I'm going to live on my lottery winnings for the rest of my life. Like if that was your approach to life, it's a good story. That is, it's, it's interesting, but like, what does that look like five years into that plan? Even if your plan worked, like even if somehow that meant your plan magically worked five years in, you have like this pile of money that you're gradually chipping away at like that a doesn't sound like healthy from a mental health perspective of like what are you doing like people like to have a sense of purpose and direction in their day and that you're accomplishing things um but it's also just i don't think not a good um sort of sort of approach to take that you're it's not you the you know the goal is something is to have something that is going to work years down the road and there are certainly things that i wish i had done you know eight years ago um compared to now but 
I think increasingly, then maybe this is like a wisdom as you get older kind of perspective, but increasingly I look at these things and it's like, what am I going to be doing in five years? And while I don't know the specifics, like I don't know um, what that's going to be, what platforms I'm going to be on, if I'm going to be still developing, if I'm going to be still an Apple developer, like who knows? That's, you know, that kind of thing is unknowable. But I look at what I'm doing now and I'm saying like, am I doing things that are going to give me options in the future? that are going to open doors and give me like skills and abilities that are going to be, you know, worth valuable in general, not valuable in specific because technology is going to change, platforms going to change, economics are going to change. Everything is always going to be changing, but like I will I'll be the same here and then I you know as as I will be in the future. And so am I doing things for myself now that are going to benefit like future future me is going to be thankful that I was making these choices now rather than sort of just yeah, going crazy like, hey, things are you know like I, if you hit it big in the app store, awesome, good for you. Like maybe don't go buy a Ferrari because like your past your your future self is probably unlikely to be uh, super super thrilled about <laughs> those car payments for the years and years to come. And the first time you need to replace the clutch. Um, and also, I, I would I would I would end with one more thing too. That as you as you spread around and as you start things and explore new options, it's very important to explore and invest in things that are on their way up not that are kind of in the past. And it's hard for me to say that because I like a lot of things from the past. But, you know, like today is probably not a great time to start making a Mac app. You know, as much as it kills me to say that, it's probably not a great time for that market-wise. It's a decent time to to be working on things like, you know, YouTube and I don't know what else. But <laughs> other people can figure that out for me. Uh, but the point is, like, invest in things that are growing and, and things that have that have a likely future bigger than their present, which is what growing means. Uh, and and try to minimize how much you you're assuming that the past will continue to stay will stay will continue to exist, basically. So anyway, with that said, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.